Hello and welcome to King's Talk, presented by Captain Crown. This is Tony. With me, as always, we have John. It's been uh, it's been an interesting week. The trade deadline came and passed. The Kings, as you probably all know by now, made one move before the deadline, acquiring Ke from the Nets, Kessler Edwards, and they also had a, they had three games against a couple of. Texas-based teams, they beat the Rockets in a very interesting way to end their road trip in Houston, a game I didn't think they would win. Uh, Fox won at the buzzer, or not at the buzzer, but hit three free throws with point, what, four seconds remaining, point three seconds remaining after Eric Gordon mm-hmm. fouled them on a three-pointer. But even before that, it was just, I, didn't, I don't know how they won that. That was just an insane game. And then, of course, you had the back-to-back at home against Dallas on both Friday and Saturday. Friday, I mean, they lost that game in the first quarter. Just terrible defense. Gave up, I think, 45 points in the first. And they just really couldn't climb back. And they had a couple good quarters after that. I think the second, third, and fourth, they all had positive net ratings. And that fourth was just so, or the first was just so terrible that they couldn't come back from it. And then, of course, on Saturday, maybe one of the best games of the year, Dallas looking to take that third seed from the Kings. They, they couldn't do it because of De'Aaron Fox scoring 26 points in the fourth quarter and overtime. So that's kind of like a little recap from the last time we've talked. John, what I miss or what are your thoughts? Well, I think you're right. One of the biggest wins of the season there on Saturday. Important to note that uh, both Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving were there and there didn't look like there was much of an adjustment period. I didn't really expect there to be one. I think that they complement each other pretty well. They looked good, but it was crazy to watch the Kings respond. I want to talk about more of that in a second, but kind of centering on the trade deadline, I'm interested to know what you think of the trade deadline because they essentially just got Kessler Edwards, and that was it, while a bunch of other moves were made around the conference. It kind of had a polarizing reception among Kings fans, I would say. Kind of like last year, even though there were completely different trade deadlines. Interested to know just kind of what your initial reaction was to it. It was a crazy deadline. A lot of moves and a lot of moves in the Western Conference, like you said. The Lakers got a handful of players, including D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, and then they got Rui Hachimura a couple, um, I think a week or two before. The Suns got Kevin Durant. Of course, the Mavericks got Kyrie Irving. I mean, the Warriors might get Gary Payton the second. That's kind of uh, in limbo now. Even the Trailblazers made a couple moves and they got uh, Thibel. So just like a bunch of guys below us in the conference and in our division, they all got better. The Clippers got a couple guys. They got Mason Plumlee and they got Eric Gordon from Houston. So like I'm saying, everyone in our division got better by getting players. Teams in our conference below us in the standings got better. And what did the Kings do? They got Kessler Edwards on Tuesday, and they did nothing else. And so it's just like, I can understand why Kings fans are like, well, like, how are we supposed to compete now? Because now that third seed that we have, and we've had for 27 straight days, maybe 28 now, um, by the time you're listening to this, it, it seems like it's a little bit in jeopardy now. And understandably so. I just All those teams got better. And yeah, the Kings could have gone out, and they probably could have gotten Mason Plumlee if they offered something right. But first off, you know, McNair, we heard beforehand that he was pretty happy with this group and wanted to see them play out the rest of the season. He liked the chemistry. 
So we kind of knew that going into this trade deadline. I, I would have been surprised to see a move made. And second of, second of all, all these teams that made all these moves, they're all in like very win now scenarios. Like the, the Lakers, of course they're win now. The Clippers, of course they're win now. The Suns, who were in the finals two years ago, win now with an aging Chris Paul. Even, I mean, the Warriors, of course, they're win now with Steph Curry. They have like, most teams in the Western Conference, even the Mavericks, who had to go after Kyrie Irving, who went to the Western Conference Finals last year. I mean, they're not so much as a win now, but it's like they're definitely that piece away from taking that next step. Where the Kings, their main goal to start off this year was to make the playoffs. And they're exceeding those goals at the moment, being the third seed. So it's just different because it, they're just not on the same timeline. They didn't m- need to make those big moves. And of course, you would hope to see that they were going to go deep in the playoffs. And, we, and we're still hoping for that. But I don't know if that's completely realistic. And if you wanted to not necessarily break the bank, but trade away some assets and for a one half a season rental of Mason Plumley, so then you can get bounced in the second round. I mean, I just don't know if that's that's the smartest move. Maybe hang on to those that draft capital for next uh, year's trade deadline or maybe get a player in the draft when maybe you're a little better and maybe you look more like a team built to make a deep playoff run. So I'm fine with the Kings not making moves just because whatever move they would have made, <laughs> they're still not going to go win the finals this year. And so it's like, might as well just keep everything the way it is, keep building that chemistry, hold on to your assets for... You know, because it seemed like a lot of second rounders were being thrown around this year. So might as well just keep those second rounders for future trade deadlines at this point. Like I say, when you're more poised to make that deep postseason run. So I'm happy with it. I think McNair kind of saw what was going on. I think he probably gauged it a little. He's probably just like, yeah, like this is too much. Find where we are. We're still the third seed. I'm just going to hold my ground. Like we're still on our track to make the playoffs right now. So. That's kind of how I see it right now. What about you, John? Yeah, I think eyes were just on the big picture. The Kings are they're in a really nice position to start creating an era of contention. And unfortunately, even if you have a great core, even if you have two all-stars, it takes time to become a winner. You see it with this team. This team for however much it responds to challenges. You know, we were talking about that two weeks ago. McNair talked about that at his post-deadline press conference a lot. That's fine and dandy. That's the thing you have now that you're going to be able to cultivate. And part of that cultivation process is kind of going to the playoffs and losing, to put it bluntly. And that's just going to need to happen. And I don't think you're going to hear it from the Kings. You're not going to hear it from Monty McNair. You're not going to hear it from Mike Brown. They're not going to go up there and say, this team's not going to win the championship because why the hell would they say that? Why would anybody in the organization say that? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just raining on the party, no matter how true that probably is. You have to think about the realistic kind of aspect of things, and you made a good point. What were the expectations of this team? At the beginning of the season, people were talking about, well, what win total would you be happy with? And a lot of people had this number like 40 to 45, and just kind of like people were really like satisfied with just being – this team that would maybe just kind of crack into the playoffs, probably through the plan. And, you know, this team's holding on to the third seed. The West is a log jam. A lot of kind of underperformers, you would almost say. The Clippers to the Warriors and all that. And all these teams that ended up making moves. But it just kind of so happened that the Kings kind of came up in third place. I'm not trying to say that the Kings 
aren't one of the more exciting teams in basketball that they haven't actually played consistently well throughout the season because they have and they've been great. But when it comes down to the wire, when playoff basketball begins, this this is going to become far more challenging. And this is a process at this point. Everything from holding onto the core to stockpiling assets like second round picks, which peak in value at the trade deadline, because at the trade deadline over the last, what, four seasons now with the play-in tournament, everybody's a buyer. They're like, they're like a few sellers, you know, and everything inflates. And so McNair, he, he just, he's seeing it as it is. And he's orienting things for, I think what you're saying, like, you're going to be able to maybe make a trade next year or something like that. I mean, I think to put it this way is good. If he could have made a move that would have bolstered the team without sacrificing the core and actually improving the core, would he have done it? Yeah, of course he would have done it, but that wasn't there. He he talked to people. He he was engaged. He went at it in the same way, trying to be disciplined yet aggressive. And the discipline prevailed in this case. Uh, the, there was no pitch to hit and that's a win in a way. And I think to talk about Kessler Edwards, that trade, we'll talk more on the player in a second, but some people point this out, but people don't give it enough credit. It's like they got him for basically nothing. They traded like the draft rights to David Michino, who's like, I think like a 29 year old player. Like it's with all due respect to that man, they basically got Walker, uh, not Walker Kessler, Kessler Edwards <laughs> for free. And will Kessler Edwards be a rotational guy? I don't know. But if he is, damn, that looks like a good trade, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's interesting with the Kings because they're so focused on the long game here. It was almost like the same thing last year where it's like, it's hard to judge the trade deadline right after it happens with the Kings because the Kings are playing that long game. So to be fair, you kind of got to wait it out. And Maybe condemnation will come from Monty McNair. Maybe things fall apart. I don't know. But maybe things are just kind of staying on that upward trajectory. And he's just slowly building towards something. I mean, that's what it seems like. It just seems like a continuation of what he was doing last year at the trade deadline, even if the results were like polar opposites. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, like you said, it's like they're, they're they're building something. And like I said, this isn't their year to go to the finals. But like this is a trade deadline in a couple of years. Like, yeah, I can see how why that's an issue because you're hoping the Kings are like a title contender or at least trying to contend for a title. So holding on to that, those assets and like you said, staying disciplined for that time to come, hopefully in a year or two, it could pay off well. So yeah, good on Monte. Or Monte. Yeah. Monte, Monte. You always say Monte. You're like, Monte. I like, <laughs> I like Monte better. Monte? Like Monte Python? Like, no. Monte versus Monte. Are you Team Monte or Team Monte? <laughs> yeah. But um, I think that kind of transitions to another question based on that. You know, the Kings did not bolster the roster, which is fair to say. I mean, like, you can classify it that, that the Kings, among the playoff contenders, bolstered their loss, roster the least. I think that's kind of fair to say. Where do you think the Kings end up? Do you think they stay in the top six? Do you think they become a playing team? Uh, you don't have to like totally buy into one answer, but like, give me your honest gut feeling. Like, what do you think? Where do you think this team ends up? Man, <laughs> I hope the six seed. I, I don't want to touch that playing tournament. I don't. I just, you know, anything can happen, right? So, especially with an inexperienced team like the Kings, you'd rather just head straight to the first round. So I'm going to say sixth. And I think they can do it. They are the third seed right now. There are a couple teams where it's like, okay, like me, the Suns and the Mavs, like mm, they could easily pass them. That only puts them down to the fifth seed. I think Kevin Phippen 
of sac or not Sacktown royalty. It used to be Sacktown royalty, but now it's the King's Herald, or at least those guys left to there. I think he had a good post about this. It was three days ago. Um, it was an interesting post, I thought. And it, and it says, if the Kings go 500, 14 and 14, they'll finish 45 and 37. Kind of around where we thought the Kings would finish, which usually seems like around like a sixth, maybe a seventh seed uh, in the NBA conference. <clears throat> and so this is what he said as well. Here's what other teams would need to do to pass them. So at 14 and 14, Kings go split the last 28 games. I don't think this counted the two Mavericks games. So technically, they're still on that pace to go 500 as outlined in this post. And so the Lakers would have to go 21 and 5, which seems unrealistic. Golden <laughs> State, 18 and 9. Like maybe, but that seems a little high the way Golden State's been playing and Curry's out. Clippers, 15 and 9. Okay, I can maybe see the Clippers. I mean, I can see them going 15 and 9. Suns, 16 and 9. Sure, I think the Suns can go 16 and 9. Dallas, 16 and 10. Like, okay, I'm sure Dallas, I, like, maybe. These are like still 16 wins in the last 26 games. Still a lot of wins, right? Uh, New Orleans, 17 and 9. Okay, they're still, out, still without Zion. Minnesota, 16 and 8. Like, I don't know. That's. They just got rid of D'Angelo Russell. We don't know. Portland, 19 and 8. It's kind of high in wins. OKC, 21 and 8. Still very high, even though OKC is playing well. And the Jazz, 19 and 7. I just don't really see the Jazz doing that. So, I mean, out of those guys, I could see maybe the Clippers, Suns, and Dallas just for their records going 15 and 9, 16 and 9, 16 and 10, and what they did at the trade deadline. So, if anything, that only drops the Kings down to the sixth seed because three teams mm -hmm. would pass them. So I'm going to stay with the sixth seed. Maybe they can stay with the fifth or the fourth. I don't know if they're going to stay at the third seed, but I really think they can stay out of the play-in. And man, I, I know we're not really on this topic or anything, but the Kings, they've been kind of playing decently lately. Yeah, they beat Houston. They've won three out of their last four, but they definitely look tired. The all-star break is going to do them wonders. I think they're going to come back rejuvenated, getting their rest, and they're going to start, come out, I think, playing some of the best basketball that we will see this season. So maybe you'd like, ah, oh, like the Kings kind of look like they're on the decline right now. Teams are tired right now. This team is especially tired, especially with a team with such a high pace. I think they're going to come out, you know, kicking ass. And I, I think, you know, 45 wins, maybe they'll do even better. Maybe they can even push 50. But they do have a tough, they do have a tough, uh, way to end the season a lot of teams in the western conference so again that's they, that conference only got tougher as well but what about you john what are you what are you thinking for the final record this season or the final uh seeding for the kings yeah first of all that's a great answer um second going on to me i i look at it this way the top four seeds are going to be some in any order it's going to be denver dallas phoenix and memphis that's the way i see that I, I just see the Kings landing in the five spot. I don't know about New Orleans. I don't really believe in the Clippers because who's their point guard? Bones Highland. So yeah. I, I just don't friends. know about that. I think the Warriors are just – it'll put a lot of Warriors fans on therapy couches to be a play-in team, but I just think that's where they're going to end up. They're not at all playing the way they did last year. Now, I do I think they'll finish above 500, like sure, and they'll probably close out the season strong, but I don't know. I just don't 100% believe in them especially when you look at them relative to previous years where they really had that punch. And then you're talking about like Minnesota, which is really kind of a big question mark. And it's just like, 
anything below that, forget about it. Like the Trailblazers and the Lakers, they're so desperate. You could see it at the deadline. Good luck to them. I don't know. I just it it like will the Kings slip a little bit? I think everybody can recognize that they can slip a little bit. Like the Suns and the Mavericks, like that's legit. All this other stuff, take into account chemistry. I mean, like some of these changes, like for like like the Lakers, like that's such a big change. We saw what happened when the Kings changed the whole. They changed half the roster last year. They were playing way better basketball, but it was hard to win. It was hard to to be able to actually secure victories to come down and bear down in the end. There's something to say about that, about a unit that's done that together and has done it all season. I just think, I, I don't know. I'm like so set on the Kings just finishing fifth. I just think I'm like so close to wanting to put money on it. <laughs> I just think I just think that that's the way it is. You just kind of like see the separation and where the Kings kind of land in the middle. Like Like I said, go through those top four teams. I would be surprised if it's not any combination of like I said, Denver, Dallas, Phoenix, Memphis. And I just don't see the Clippers, Pelicans, or Warriors, or Timberwolves, you know, coming up and beating the, beating the Kings. I guess that is all dependent, though, on how healthy the Kings stay. As much as I know the Kings respond to challenges, again, another topic we'll get to in a second, like Monk goes down for a game. He's just The bench has a way of just coming together. They have depth to do stuff like that. But injuries to... Maybe more prominent guys, not to say Monk's not prominent. He's massively prominent. But, you know, you miss Fox or Sabonis for a couple weeks for any reason. Not to say that we have any reason to believe that that's going to happen. They've shown extremely nice durability. But barring something like that, I just, the Kings, like that whole idea of them finishing 500, like, yeah, that's, they can do that. That's, that's a good way to put it. They'll slip a little bit, but. They're still going to be a playoff team. I don't. I don't know if they'll slip into the plan. It can happen though. That don't roll it out. I would love this Kings team to kind of, and of course, this would be a perfect base for any team to start off their dynasty one day. But it would be kind of like the Warriors, the Warriors dynasty. I mean, it started off with what? What year was that? 12, 2012, 2013, when they beat Denver yeah, they, in they the beat first first round. Seed Nuggets. That's right against the Nuggets, and then. You know, kind of like, okay, like they beat the Nuggets, a higher seeded team than them. And they, what was against OKC in the second round? I think you know no, better. They played, than me. San, Anto- they San, played Antonio. San Antonio. Yeah. And so, they played I mean, hard, hard against they San played Antonio. Hard. And then they put themselves on the map. And it's like the Kings aren't putting themselves on the map. They have two All Stars mm-hmm. and a three time All Star. But, you know, I like can get enough a win. I think in the playoffs, even the first round victory would be huge. And it's obviously easier to do that as a higher seed than it is as a lower seed. I mean, I, I don't know. Like I said, the Kings aren't title contenders this year, but it would be nice to get a little more than just a experience in like a playoff loss in the first round. So yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Talking about the Warriors, the next year they played the Clippers in this hard fought series that did not seem worthy of a first round. It felt more like a semifinal conference finals type series. Is that mm-hmm. good? Yeah. Um, they got bounced in the first round too. Yeah, but it was a hard-fought series. Like that, that man, that like taught them how to win. I mean, they you know they fired Mark Jackson and hired Steve Kerr. I don't know. I mean, like if you you will fire Mike Brown and hire Mark Jackson. (laughs) I was gonna say though. I was gonna say the Kings skipped that first step by not hiring Mark Jackson. That's yeah. Mark Jackson. I think Mark Jackson probably he could have had this team doing. I'd never had any problem with Mark Jackson as a coach, but it's just like, man, you're gonna really you want him in Vivek's organization? You think that's gonna go over well? No, oh, God, that's crazy. 
Yeah. Mike Brown is a, a consummate professional. I'm not to say that Mark Jackson isn't a professional. I should be careful about what I say. I really respect Mark Jackson, but Mike Brown does not butt heads with people very much. If anything, he kind of rolls over, I think, his, his history. But it's all about that big picture. And it's like what we were saying at the beginning of the season, like this bandwagon royalty, like this extends beyond the Kings just being like a, a nice team to watch. It's like this team is – I don't know if they're going to be the Warriors. Like that's crazy to just throw around. Like that is a that's, – that's a pretty special franchise or dynasty in all of sports. But it's like you can't help looking at similarities. You can't help looking at what Monty McNair is doing and just saying this – it's it's moving maybe a little too slow for some people given the the way they started this year, but it's moving slow and it ain't ever gonna quit. <laughs> it ain't mm-hmm. ever gonna quit. So I was really really you, you look at that trade deadline. You look at kind of kind of let all the buzz kind of go away after a while, and you see why they didn't really make any moves. Yeah, but I mean to transition, unless you have more to say, they did nah. make one move: Kessler Edwards, and this is a guy. Uh, a lot of people don't know about, um, but you do, John. Can you give us a little rundown <laughs> of, of this guy that Kings acquired from Brooklyn? Yeah, so I just got back from lunch with Kessler. Um, <laughs> I, call him, I call him Kess. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Kessler Edwards, one of the things that's really interesting about Kessler Edwards, and I didn't know this until I did a little bit more research, did not have the opportunity to do it because we were recording like within the hour of that deal going down. But one of the things that's really interesting about Kessler Edwards is that in his rookie season, he was thrusted into the rotation because there were so many health and safety protocols that the the the, the Nets just didn't have any any bodies, and so they needed bodies. And Kessler Edwards was you know next man up, and he just performed well given the opportunity, playing defense and shooting threes. I think someone who covers the Brooklyn Nets called him Brooklyn's rookie stopper. Like they they were really high on this guy's defense. And apparently Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox were as well. They had apparently had their eyes on Edwards since Edwards was playing at Pepperdine, which makes sense. He's got the f- kind of physical skill set, 6'7", six, 6'11", six, wingspan, athletic, plays defense, runs the floor, can shoot the three. That's the exact type of guy you want to throw into a core potentially. And this year, he didn't quite make the rotation, played mostly uh, – in the in the G League, was kind of bouncing up uh, w- w- in terms of minutes. His minutes were kind of bouncing around at the NBA level, and without that consistency, you didn't really see him shooting the ball super well. And he shot really well in the G League. He shot forty percent, I think, in fourteen games for the Long Island Nets. I think there's something to say that if this guy just kind of can kind of stay in one place, uh, I know that Adrian Wojnarowski reported that the Kings intend to use him in Stockton, but I mean. You know, the Kings, you heard Mike Brown say it, the game that Keon Ellis played. And Brendan Nunez asked him, like, you know, you're always talking about looking for combinations out there in the rotation and whatnot and kind of centering in on the defense. Mike Brown was like, you know, yeah, I guess I'm just kind of looking for somebody that has a little more consistency, especially on the defensive end of the floor. He's just looking for somebody that can stay in front of the basketball and not have too many mental errors. Um, now can Kessler Edwards be that guy? I don't know, but he gives him a chance. He's kind of done it in the NBA in a, in a lot of ways. You know, we had, there was kind of an interest in PJ Dozier because he'd kind of been a contributor on a winning team, uh, with the Nuggets prior to getting hurt. 
And so there was like promise here. Well, Kessler Edwards just kind of fell out. Like just give him another chance. He didn't get hurt or anything. He didn't have a ACL reconstruction or anything like that. Like this guy could do something. Will he? I don't know. But you didn't trade anything to get this guy. And, you know, if he pays off, like, like I said earlier, that's a great trade. And then I guess one point that's interesting, because the defense seems like it's pretty much there for the most part. Um, it wasn't perfect his rookie year. I'm sure there's been improvements. But the three-point shot's interesting because coming out of college, he had like a weird lower half kind of thing that they adjusted when he came to the NBA. I guess it was an, they described it as an unorthodox motion in his, in his lower half that they fixed. And for like that first section of that rookie season with the Nets, he was shooting like over 40%. And he closed the season not shooting the same. So I, I don't know how much I believe in his three-point shot. I mean, he shot pretty well with the G League at about 40%. So it's potential, you know, it, it could be there, but he seems kind of like it's up and down shooter, not really so much like awesome, but I would say way more reliable than like Casey Akpala and way more NBA experience than Keon Ellis at this point. I don't know if Kessler Edwards would be a nightly rotation guy this season. I don't know if the numbers really allow for that when you're talking about a rotation of eight or nine guys, but can Kessler Edwards be that guy that, you know, you kind of saw Casey Akpala in December. You saw Keon Ellis for a second there. Mike Brown at least went to him where the perimeter defense is really bad. And sometimes Brown just goes to somebody and maybe it's just for five minutes in that one quarter or whatever, or maybe that guy ends up earning more minutes. Kessler Edwards kind of gives you that option. Obviously you don't know anything about Kessler Edwards. You don't trade anything for him. Really. You can like without knowing anything about Kessler Edwards, you can like the idea that this is kind of a low risk, high reward trade. But kind of learning more about him, it's like, this guy's really got a chance. If we thought P.J. Dozier had a chance, this guy's got an even better chance. And he's filling that roster spot, so he's going to be here for the year, I think. And I think there's got to be a lot of credit given to that move on um, Monty McNair's part. I think you said it perfectly, and I was thinking the same thing. It's low risk, high reward. You get this guy for virtually nothing. Um, and he's a guy who fits what the Kings are trying to build around. Just 100% low risk, high reward. And you said it again, like he kind of reminds me of Casey Akpala, or it's like he's a good comparison, like going into this year. It's like, he's Akpala, great defender. I think Mike Brown went as far as to say he could be a defensive player of the year candidate. I wish I had Mike Brown to, to talk my confidence up, man. <laughs> I know. And so, I mean, we saw it. I mean, we didn't see, I don't know, defensive player of the year, defensive ability from Akpala, but he was, you know, you could argue he's one of the better defenders on the team, but his offense was just that bad. So again, I guess Edwards kind of like a blank slate kind of guy, like, okay, like maybe he can become something. Maybe the Kings can develop him the correct way and get him to his potential in this league. No, absolutely. And I think just kind of centering on that Casey Akpala thing, it's like, we saw stretches where Casey Akpala looked decent, you know, mm-hmm. where he provides that defense, kind of has some good uh, awareness of where he needs to be on the floor in terms of spacing and movement. And then, like, there were moments where he – I think there was, like, kind of a stretch there where he was hitting kind of some open threes. And it's like, oh, man, all right, there you go, Akpala, like, great. Um, but then it's just like, well, he's still he's still kind of a project. And maybe Kessler Edwards is still a project – but I, he's just he's better. If you're ranking the players on this roster, I would say he's better than Casey Akpala. I think that if anybody did you do cursory research on Kessler Edwards, 
that's the way it is. I don't remember Casey Ogpala ever having a rotational job in the NBA. You know, in his time with Miami, he got some yeah. spot starts here and there. He's mm-hmm. never a rotational guy. No. So that's a slight improvement. And then that ceiling can only go up, really. Because I don't see Kessler Edwards just like falling off the wagon. I don't see that happening at all. And, you know, a California guy, you know, I think there's something to say about I mean, Casey Ogpala is as well, both from Southern California, but I don't know. Kessler Edwards just seems like a swell fella. Went to the same school as Doug Christie, as everybody notes, rightfully so. I really think that that trade uh, was like a solid A minus, in my opinion. People are like, that's so stupid. But it's just like, just it comes down to you're not going to ever get hurt by that deal. That deal's never going to come back and bite you in the butt. David Michino's not going to all of a sudden break into the NBA somehow because he's the Nets have his draft rights. But can Kessler Edwards be a guy that's like, you know, will we be talking about him next year? It's like, how many minutes, you know, is Kessler Edwards going to be getting this year, you know, kind of talking like that and where he's really putting himself in the conversation? Like, that's very believable. And that's a hell of a trade, in my opinion. Yeah, we'll see if he even gets any minutes this year. Kings obviously have made a couple acquisitions and some 10 day pickups and PJ Dozier. And um, the other guy, who <laughs> is it, Burton? I don't even remember. Deontay Burton. Deontay Burton. And they got very little playing time, mostly in garbage time. So Kessler Edwards seems more of a guy who could get minutes over these guys, maybe not in garbage time, just for what he offers defensively. And, you know, he can shoot the ball well enough to see the floor and not be too much of a liability. It's an interesting pickup. Hopefully just one that pays off. And maybe it won't pay off this year, but yeah, it, it could very well in the future. So definition of low risk, high reward. And maybe and it could be low risk, no reward, but at the same time, it was you got this guy for David what? Michinel? Michinel. Yeah. Michinel. Yeah. Like if you look at him, I think he's like twenty eight years old. I think he's playing in another country right now. I've never even heard of him. I didn't even know we traded for him until you said that. That was Honestly. like the last they're like more details to come. Because it's just like, well, what did they get? David, Mitch, and no. Yeah. Let me hype this guy up. He looks French, just based off his it's, name. He is French, and I think he's playing in Italy, actually. He is. He's on Napoli Basket. His international stats, just to show you what the Kings traded <laughs> away. He's averaging a solid 11.2 points, 4.1 assists, and 3.6 rebounds. I want to know how many guys that are just going to play their whole career in Europe have draft rights held by a team. Like I'm waiting for my, <laughs> waiting for them to want to negotiate that contract. Yeah, honestly. wonder if they're going to give me a call. And what does Edwards play? He plays a small forward. Can he slide down to the power forward at six eight? Or is not like, really. He's no. like 215 pounds. Oh, okay. So um, no. But the, you really have to think about it. Like the Kings are really looking at Remmer defense and just getting that length out there. Edwards has a lot to offer. Yes. They, man, that perimeter defense. Ugh. It can cause That's, so many issues. It just that, You get a breakdown on the perimeter, and it's a breakdown everywhere. Yep. And, I mean, we see that. And why do you think their defense has been so inconsistent this year? They're, that perimeter defense. I mean, that Mavericks game, that first one, especially in that first quarter, it was so bad. It was, I know, so and it was it was so interesting because it's like who was the one guy that was playing good defense in that game? It was Darren Fox. Yeah, and shit hit the fan when he went out for his at his typical yeah. juncture. I mean, it wasn't great to start. Like the like Kyrie Irving was causing trouble from the beginning on in the pick and roll. And you know, I don't want to like say it was all like oh you know they should have just altered the rotation for that one moment. I'm not saying that you know shit like that happens, but. It was another sign as to why Darren Fox is one hell of a freaking basketball player. The Kings 
had a net rating in that first Mavericks game of a negative 77 when Fox was not on the floor. And, oh and he played 39 minutes. <laughs> it was, I thought that was funny. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, come on. Man. But, uh, you, I mean, you, you were talking. The, the dude's a hell of a player. He's an all-star. You're going to have the floor back. Talk this did we talk up. about that? Did that the All Star news? Did that break last week when we were? No, no, this is new news. Okay, so yeah, for the podcast at least. So if you're only following the Kings through uh, Kings Talk by Cap City Crown, good for you. First of all, yeah. <laughs> Second it's, of all, Darren Fox is an All Star. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, at least one person is learning that from you right now. <laughs> a week later, but Darren Fox, All Star, um, Zion. Uh, Durant, Curry are all going to miss the All-Star game. So they got replaced by Siakam in the East because Kevin Durant was in the East. Um, Curry, oh, and then it was Anthony Edwards and Fox for Zion and Curry. Who's Who starts now? Do you know? Like, just, is Fox an All-Star starter now? Because Curry was? Uh, no, I think they're putting Shea Gilgis and Alexander in the starting lineup. Yeah, wow. Let me, let me look. Is Sabonis going to start? Who's starting for Zion? I don't know. Let me look. Yeah, I don't know if they've announced that yet. Or maybe they I was looking at the the All Star rosters on like NBA's website, and they have like, oh no no, Ja Morant and Laurie Markkanen. Of course, Laurie Markkanen. So okay, so we're gonna oh because Jokic is starting, so I don't know. They're probably you want Jokic and uh, Sabonis out there. I mean, I want. Sabonis it's the all star game. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's not gonna work. They're not gonna win. It's just better. We're we're, we're trying to win this game, okay? Sabonis, yeah. you need to be the backup five. Yeah, exactly. Look, look at that depth. Minutes. Look at that depth at the backup center in the West. Watch out, Sabonis East. Gets- or it's not even the West and East. It's the, it's the <laughs> this is the picks now. I forget. You know. Yeah, but they're still they still have it delineated by conference. But if they just have it like Team LeBron and Team uh, Giannis. Yeah, but you, they get, like, picked. It's like, well, the starters have to start. So you have to pick the starters first. Oh. And then. So, so you I just, mean, you, yeah. You draft the reserves? You, you draft from everyone. You draft everyone. Oh. Yeah. So what the hell does this matter, then? It, the it, starting and you, not starting. You get the, you get the, well, I think they start regardless. They're still starters. They're going to start the game either on Team LeBron or Team Durant. But what happens if six of these starters gets picked by a team? I have so I many questions. Well, they can't. The starters have to be the first ten picks. Okay. All right. Well, all right. Or, or the first eight true. picks, essentially, because the captain can't be picked. So if I was LeBron, I would just pick De'Aaron Fox first. Like, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to break the rules because LeBron would he could get away with that. They don't they don't care what he does. Yeah, honestly, he he could. He He'll Fox. get an apology from the refs about it. He should just pick all the point guards, like a point guards versus centers game. You know what I miss? Now that I'm just ranting now on these like rules, you know what I miss? I miss the rookie challenge because it's like the rookie Ooh. versus sophomore game. I love that. Like the Rising Stars, I don't care. And now it's like the Rising Stars game. There's there's three teams. How does that work? What? I don't know. Maybe I, I just feel like a grant, but no. Like, so they had three here. teams and Davion Mitchell wasn't in the Rising Stars thing? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That's just stupid. Rising, yeah, right. Rising stars teams. Anyways, <laughs> let me get back to Fox. <laughs> well, yeah. So Darren Fox just uh, makes it what the first time the Kings had two All Stars since two thousand and four. Two thousand four. Brad Miller. Yeah. 
and Peja, right? Yeah, or yeah, Brad Miller. That's so crazy. <laughs> I love Brad Miller, but uh, yeah, no, first time. It. I mean, Fox. Fox really deserved. I think. Man, I am still a little upset over that Jaron Jackson Jr. pick over Fox in the initial selection. So it was nice to see Fox get that nod, regardless. And you kind of like you kind of saw that coming, especially with Zion. You know always injured and then when the curry news broke when he was gonna probably miss all star game it's like okay well he's gonna start uh or he's not gonna start but he's gonna he's gonna make the all-star team so it was nice to see him get that recognition maybe you know that could mean different things maybe the way he's officiated going down the stretch and stuff like that so that'll be interesting to watch but i mean that performance on Saturday night, 26 points in the fourth quarter in, in overtime, just kind of just really sealed the deal and showed why this guy's an all-star beating. And not on, not only did he score 26 points in the fourth quarter in overtime, but he did it against the, in the first game that Luca and Kyrie were playing with each other in a big game for the third seed. Man, that dude took over and he really showed why he's one of the better point guards in this league. It's amazing to have that playoff atmosphere in that second Dallas game. Two all-stars on each team, like four of the best players in the NBA, fair to say. And the Fox would not be denied. And that whole the whole fact that he's this, the most clutch player in the NBA is kind of a microcosm for the kind of player he is, where sometimes you'll see him at halftime with like nine or ten points or whatever, and it's just like, oh, some people will be like, oh, Fox needs to like do better or whatever. It's like the team's up. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? He's doing other things. And he always just, when the time comes, he will seize the reins. And damn, that fourth quarter and overtime period were just insane on both ends of the floor, forcing turnovers. The dude's a killer, man. He's a killer. And He's just, killer. again, playoff atmosphere, four stars. You're, you're, you know, like the Mavericks putting good, pretty good attention on Sabonis in terms of being kind of the center of facilitation on the offense and whatnot. And it's just like Fox, just no trouble. I There's no issue whatsoever. Nothing could get in his way. And, you know, like you kind of saw Kyrie Irving kind of try to go toe-to-toe with him. But it's just like in the end, Fox prevailed. Fox was the guy. I watch Fox and I'm just like, this guy is way more special than I gave him credit for. And I think it's fair to say... He's far more special than the NBA is even giving him credit for now. The fact that he was second to Jaron Jackson, essentially, it's just, that was so dumb. It just felt so stupid. It's ridiculous. And we saw with the team was without Fox in that Indiana game. And you could see through his absence, Fox is freaking awesome. He's so important. And when he comes back, he, he, he takes control in Houston. And he takes control in that second Dallas game. In that first Dallas game, he was the lone bright spot from start to finish, really. I mean, you could throw Sabonis in there as well. But And um, I just feel like everything right now is just growing to a point where it's like, man, I can't wait to see what this guy can do come playoff time, quite frankly. Even if we don't necessarily see the Kings as a championship contender, it's like Fox is that X factor. And, man, he's simply one of the best point guards, one of the best players in the NBA. Like He's a great scorer. Like, yeah, there's a lot of great scorers in this league, but the way he does it, the the way he is so clutch in scoring, it just puts him on another level of being that scorer, right? And, and come playoffs, man, I mean, 
having those stars on your team, having that guy who can come into the fourth quarter in a close game and finish it off for you, like that's going to mean a lot. So you got two guys in Sabonis and Fox. That can, that can come up huge in the playoffs when stars mean a lot. Fox and Sabonis, they, uh, they're a couple of stars. I don't know, you know, <laughs> it's going to come big in the playoffs for sure. But what, uh, what else we got on the docket? Well, I want to preface by saying that Kevin Herter is one of the best players on this team. He's terrific. Uh, the way they're able to use him on offense and the way that he's adjusted to the fact that guys just run him off the line, the way that he's consistently found other ways to score when the three ball wasn't necessarily falling and what he does on defense, particularly off ball. He's doing so well. He's taking that next step. But with that next step, with higher usage, with everything that's going on, with probably more expected out of him on defense, I would think it's fair to say. We probably, with with Mike Brown as your head coach, that uh, those expectations, the standard is way higher on that end of the floor. If anybody is tired, you know, and it seems like a lot of guys are tired, but Kevin Herter is a good candidate for perhaps most tired player on the Kings. And it's weird to say that because he, he's played, he's had a couple of good games here, you know, where he's scoring like 16 points or whatever and hitting a few threes or whatever and doing what he does off ball, getting these weak side steals, uh, weak side help, all that stuff. But I think it's professor Oak on Twitter pointed out, I think during the weekend that Kevin Herter's, Three-point percentage has consistently fallen month by month, which upon hearing that is probably not very surprising to you, just from watching. And Professor Oak noted, you know, the professor, I should just call him a professor. <laughs> professor noted that, <laughs> that uh, you know, Kevin Herter's role here in Sacramento is far more extensive. His off-ball move- movement is way up. Um, he's a far more of a primary off- offensive option. Uh, and again, there's that standard on defense that's higher. You know, they're they're asking him to do more on all sides of the floor. And people tell you that the general rule of tired legs is whether or not the three ball is falling because that's a great test for the freshness of legs. Everything comes from the legs. And that three-point percentage is down. Kind of a good indication. Another thing, despite the fact that he's so good off ball, and he's not terrible on ball. I would never say that Kevin Hurd is a terrible on ball defender, but does he get beat? Like he gets beat like three or four times a game. And we were just talking about perimeter defense. Sometimes he'll get that one on one situation on the perimeter and he gets beat, forces that help from Sabonis, help, forces a rotation, and now chaos ensues. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes you force the stop. It's not sustainable. And I'm not putting it all on Herder. It happens all the time with other guys. We talk about Fox and Mitchell being great. They have their. Their, their moments where they, you know, a guy kind of beats them or they force help. It's the NBA. It's make or miss league. It's a stop or not league. I don't know if that, that doesn't sound good, but I'm going to, I'm going to say it anyways. <laughs> um, but you just kind of see it. And I, I feel like the on ball defense, while never like exceptional for Herder, I feel like it's a little more prevalent where he, he gets beat or whatnot. He also gets called for a lot of fouls too. I think is another thing that I, that I think he's, I think it was in the last uh, Mavericks game. I think he, Gotten some foul trouble. It's happened recently. I don't think that's an. I'm not trying to indict his on-ball defense. I'm just substantiating that point that he does seem tired, and no fault to him. I mean, like the dude's taking that next step in his career. He's for the better, and what he'll be able to do next year is huge. But one of the things that you see with Kevin Herter when he was playing for the Hawks 
is that his offensive production and defensive uh, efficacy would rise in the playoffs. And if he's getting tired, and if he's being not like overworked, but if he's just kind of has a load that's kind of wearing on him because it's the biggest load that he's ever taken, it sounds weird, but that he's that he he's put on his shoulders, you know, that'll become a far more glaring issue come late in the season, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And again, this isn't an indictment of Kevin Herter or anything like that. It's really kind of just an observation made by somebody else that I felt was a good point. And again, there's moments where I'll really fixate on Herter on defense, and I'll be noticing that he's doing well. He'll play pretty well in stretches on ball, not get beat, stop a guy. What is what are you kind of your thoughts on that? It's kind of more of a again like an observation. I don't really have like a question to go off on that, but just in terms of you know, the different load, what that might mean for a playoff situation. Uh, do you have any kind of initial thoughts on Kevin Herter and fatigue and the, maybe the rest of the team as a whole? I don't want to single out Herter. No. It, Even though that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I mean, Herter is just the best example of it at this moment. In years past, especially Harrison Barnes, he was the poster child for this, right? The poster guy for being tired before the All-Star break because his numbers dropped uh, significantly around like right before the all-star break. So it's Kevin Herter this year, but at least with the Kings and probably every team, everyone gets tired, right? So yeah, Barnes is tired. I mean, that three point success that he had kind of through January and early or late December, it started in late December. Well, most of January he was shooting great. Yeah. These last four or five games, it's just, yeah, it's gone out the window. So the all-star break will do, I mean, everyone well, right? That's kind of a good transition to one of our other topics. We saw Malik Monk go down with a sprained ankle. It's not a serious injury. He's out for the game against the Suns. They'll reevaluate him after the All-Star break. Sprained ankles, but that's like a two, three-week injury at most. Some people come back pretty quicker. Sometimes it can kind of linger, but it's not a serious injury. Nonetheless, you really felt good that Terrence Davis was still on this team. And maybe when Monk's back healthy, in terms of kind of sparing Herder a little bit of a workload, maybe you kind of give Terrence Davis the opportunity to kind of fill in here or there. I mean, and I guess that kind of leads to the question of like, I mean, leading up to the All-Star break, it's not like we were like, they need to trade Terrence Davis. We both are huge Terrence Davis fans. At the beginning of the season, I I posited that he was going to find a way into the rotation and be a guy that's going to have a crazy good year. Not necessarily happened, but when his opportunities have come, he's been quite impressive. Always stays ready. Consummate professional. I mean, how happy are you that they didn't trade Terrence Davis based on the Monk uh, injury? Granted, it's not serious. And then based on this kind of fatigue talk about Kevin Herter and other guys, uh, depth really comes into play, and Terrence Davis personifies that depth. He really does. And I was a guy who was saying before the trade deadline, like, trade Terrence Davis. Like, like, not, not for nothing, but it's like you can find the right deal for this guy on an expiring deal. Like, might as well, right? But, man, I'm glad they didn't. He's going to give you solid minutes, probably shoot the ball pretty effectively from deep, and it highlights that depth that we have at the shooting guard position. Going into the year, it was like shooting guard and center. Like, those are our, you know, our most uh, filled out <laughs> positions at center position. No, not anymore. But that shooting guard has definitely been our most, you know, consistent position with all the players we have there. And um, really because of Terrence Davis as that third string guy. So especially in the playoffs now, because you kind of just really start looking ahead now, like you were saying, talking about Herter and how his fatigue is going to hit. Like 
having Terrence Davis at least as that backup backup option to Herder or Monk, it's just in the playoffs it can be very clutch. Yeah. He'd be he'll be huge there. Undrafted free agent fought for everything he has in this league. He just gives it his all on both ends of the floor. Ball pressure, it's huge. And people constantly point to it. It's like you look at his like defensive rating, you look at the defense when he's in the in the game. The Kings are better. And I don't really credit I don't I don't want to like toot our own horn, but we were saying that when we were kind of talking about the idea of Terrence Davis really having a, this huge year that people wouldn't expect. One of the things was is like he could be a two-way player. He's got He's not like tall or anything, but he's got a pretty long wingspan. We never really were like, oh, he's a dogged, aggressive player on offense. He's got, he's gonna, you know, Mike Brown's gonna really unleash that on the defensive end. But that that seems to have happened. You know, we didn't see that in our crystal balls, unfortunately. I think another thing you noted was it's like when Terrence Davis gets his opportunities, he more or less uh, succeeds and capitalizes on the opportunity and performs really well. Really, the only instances where he didn't, he's like coming off of no minutes, like no rhythm whatsoever, where it just kind of takes him a second to get the rhythm back. When he started like two games, uh, was that in Houston? I think that first one, I don't know if he started that first game. I think he did because he played 23 minutes in it. And he scored six points on two of seven from the field, all from three. And then the next game, he played 31 minutes, 22 points on seven of 14 from the field, three of seven from three. That, that rhythm thing for him is, is huge. I mean, as with any other player. Mm-hmm. And that that concept of being able to kind of fill him in for an injured guy, fill him in for a guy that maybe needs a little little load taken off his shoulders, that's mutually beneficial now. Because now you're talking about Terrence Davis just kind of constantly being able to stay in a rhythm, finding his minutes. And Mike Brown's using him a lot more in the rotation anyways. It just kind of seems like an ideal situation and – you know, people are so critical about the trade deadline. It's like, I don't know, man. I mean, like, in terms of moving Terrence Davis, I was like, if you can get more length and uh, maybe get a, like a defensive stopper or something like that, uh, then that's a pretty good replacement. And it's like, well, that would have really taken away that scoring punch that you would need. And in a way, they kind of got kind of maybe a cut rate version of what I was talking about, Kessler Edwards. We'll see how that pans out. But they still kept Terrence Davis. And that just seems like it's going to pay off just based on what we're saying here. Uh, <laughs> or for so many different things. Off. Yeah, right. absolutely. Right? Yeah. But people have talked about buyout candidates for the Kings. I'll preface this by saying, based on what Monty McNair said, which was something to the effect of, because he was asked about the buyout market at his post-deadline press conference, he said the typical stuff, you know, we're confident in the team, top to bottom. You know, we're always going to, you know, it's a 24-7 job, 365 days. We're always working to make the team better. Uh, that, based on that and the list of potential buyout candidates, I mean, I don't really know if the Kings are going to do anything. But it's kind of interesting to look. And, you know, I'll start with you. Do you, I mean, there's some people that just kind of based on what people have posited in terms of who's going to be a buyout candidate, combining that with who you kind of see Kings analysts and Kings fans talk about, you know, anything from John Wall, Dario Saric, DeAndre Jordan, Danny Green, Dwayne Deadman. I know. <laughs> oh, I can hear the Snickers now. Yeah, and Dwayne uh, Deadman. <laughs> Bring him back. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's going to really, really uh, right the ship. Uh, Will Barton, Nerlens Noel, Damian Jones. I threw that last guy in there, of course, myself. <laughs> yeah. But is there anybody that just kind of strikes you as somebody that, 
well, that would kind of help. Kind of like that. Or are you of the mind that that's just not really worth talking about? That really the buyout market is more, is Russell Westbrook going to go to the Heat or is he going to go to the, to the Clippers or whatever the deal is? What, what are your kind of thoughts on this? Well, my thoughts are first, the buyout market guys, those big names, they're usually going to go to title contender teams, right? The big names, they want championships. So Kings, although the third seed right now, aren't title contenders, as we've already pointed out in this episode. So it might be hard if you want a big name. Say, I've seen John Wall be thrown around. I saw the Kings were interested in Derrick Rose during the trade deadline. Um, like Even guys like Will Barton, who you know I may might be able to help as that backup small forward behind Harrison Barnes. But I think out of the, the list of people uh, that might be bought out or will be bought out, and they I mean the Kings have been connected to him for a long time now, or is, is Nerland's Noel. It obviously makes sense uh, with the, the lack of a backup center that the Kings have or don't have. Um, he would just fit in well. He's defensive guy. Yeah, he's a shot blocker and not something the Kings need necessarily, but I think this guy you can plug into Mike Brown's defensive scheme and he'll do well in as a backup. I mean... No offense to Matthew, but I mean, anyone would probably be, do better than him as the backup center to Sabonis. So he's definitely the guy I have eyes on most, makes the most sense. Same guy I can actually see coming over here um, if bought out. So I like Nerlens, but at the same time, I don't know if the Kings will actually add anyone. I don't know if anyone will actually even want to come to sack at the same time. So I'm not too interested in this, but, you know, I guess we'll see what McNair can do. What about you? Yeah, I mean, again, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, like, I don't think they'll do anything. So this is just kind of more I mean, daydreaming. But, you know, we talk about Chemezi Metu being a backup center here. Why the hell wouldn't Dario Saric be a good backup center? Maybe people disagree with me there. I don't know. I, You know, maybe you'd be losing a little athleticism, but I feel like you'd be getting a far more skilled player. And one of the things that I would point to as well is that you know, when Metu, I think he had like two games last week where he hit like three threes. And I was like, oh, man, if Chemezi Metu can add that stretch element, then it kind of, I wouldn't rule it out, but he's, whenever he has shot threes, it's usually in like a small stretch of time. As my co-host Tony would tell you, he would not consider him a three-point shooter at all, uh, which is fair. Uh, Dario Sarge, however, would bring that. Now you get into kind of the realistic, uh, you know, you noted that a lot of these guys are looking for like title contenders and whatnot. I mean, Sarge kind of, I, I almost, maybe this is conjecture, kind of would fall into that situation over there now with OKC. But I can't help wondering that if Metu's, we said the same thing about Jared Vanderbilt last week. It's like, well, if Metu's your backup center, then Vanderbilt would be, could easily do it, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like you can make the same argument about Sarich, but. I don't know. I would Kings really like their roster than Matthew. I mean, the dude. Right, and I think a lot of people would. Right, he's shooting thirty nine percent from three this year on Phoenix mm-hmm. on one point, and he's been consistent. Like yeah. I think it's over forty percent for the last three months. Perfect. So, Career thirty six percent from three. I mean, Sarich has been around the division long enough. He's. I forgot yeah. he started off in Philadelphia, but he's been in Phoenix for a minute now. It seems like so. Um, and he's tying it back together after coming back from the ACL. And again, if I'm being 100% honest with myself, I think the Kings kind of think they have, at least Mike Brown maybe more than anything, but I don't know if the Kings are going to just move on from Metu. I think 
if we're talking about the Kings kind of looking at the big picture, playing the long game, uh, I think part of that is them thinking they can develop Metu a little more. I don't know if that's what they're doing. I don't know if that's the smart thing to do. I don't know if that's a good investment, but that's my read on the situation. And we've talked about that all year. The trust in Metu is immense. It's there, whether or not you agree with it. I'll just say this. I can live with Metu this year. I can live with him this year. He's been there. He's been decently consistent all season long. He's been there when the Kings needed him at that back of five role with Rashawn Holmes, you know, just, I don't know. What doing whatever Sean Holmes is doing. So it's like, fine, I can take Matt to the rest of the year and in the playoffs, even though it's going to hurt our chances, I can live with it this year. I do not want to see Chimezi Matu have a consistent rotational uh, job <laughs> come next season. Like, that's, that's it for me. Like, yeah, we can maybe bring in Nerlens or Dario or something. Fine. Like, whatever. If we do, great. If we don't, fine. Next year, no, like, no. Yeah, yeah. I have, I have an, me. I have an odd suspicion that we'll be going into camp, kind of being like, well, who's going to win the backup center spot, Chavezi Batu or Nibish Keda? <sighs> <laughs> I knew I was going to get a groan or a sigh from Tony. I, I hope not. <laughs> you have to get someone. Just drafts. I, man, I. Maybe. No. Maybe. Maybe they could draft somebody. I don't Maybe. Know. Maybe they can. Maybe they can't. Get someone. I mean, if Just, they end up moving Holmes in the offseason, which it seems like is that's going to be the next opportunity to do that, I mean, you're going to be clearing up a lot of cap space. I would imagine they'd be trying to bolster certain areas, and I think the backup five would be one of those areas. You would hope. But again, I don't know. I just – the way I read it, I'm like, they see something in Metu. They have to. I mean, like, he's exceeded expectations this season. He's shown some growth. And quite frankly, he's been the best backup five. That's not out of a the most impressive field of guys, but um, out of him, Holmes, and Kata. I mean, they take Trey Lyles out of it because I would actually make the argument. <laughs> Trey, Trey Lyles is the yeah. guy, um, which is almost interesting because Trey Lyles is almost the same height as as Metu, bigger body, better rebounder, better shooter. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. That, that almost makes it like – that almost kind of bolsters the argument for Sarge because it's just like, man, you have Sarge and Lyles coming off the bench. Man. I feel like those guys complement each other really that, well. They complement each other very well. I'm no, I'm all for Sarge now. He's, I mean, just with that comment, yeah, Lyles and Sarge off the bench together, jeez, mm-hmm. that that's, that could be a team I can see winning of the first round of a playoff series. Honestly, yeah, I mean, just like yeah. the, the, that hole is just so immense, and the Kings yeah. get so bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with Simonis off the floor. If you can just and yeah, I mean that's why And Met sometimes too. they don't, but it's not because of Metu. Like we always say, Metu is on the water, and when the water rises, Metu rises with it. Mm-hmm. And when the water sinks, when it dips, uh when it ebbs, he does so as well. So yeah. you know. He's just kind of there. Good athleticism yeah. can dump it off to him. He's shown some signs of kind of having an idea of what he's doing on defense, although sometimes he doesn't. I think it seemed like there were like three halves of basketball in a row where he finished the half with like a foul. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? (laughs) Or ended a quarter, I mean, because I think he ended the end of the first quarter. He had a foul and then he ended the second half because Sabonis was, was in foul trouble. I don't remember what game this was. And he had a foul in that one. And then maybe it was another game because I don't think it happened to the same way. I don't know. That becomes an issue too. That, you know, I don't know. But <laughs> I like how this buyout candidates. 
Yeah. I know, it's just kind of yeah. interesting. Like, bio I was from BioCandidates to Matthew. Like, on Matthew. Well, I'm dogging on Matthew. You, you, I don't really know. I don't actually don't know if either of us are dogging on Matthew. I mean, we have given right him now. his cre- – <laughs> The next segment of the show. <laughs> Tony's got a diss rap about Yeah. It's like Matt George's Bagley rap, but it's mine for Chimezzi Matthew. All right, let's 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 do Matt George a favor and not bring that up. Yeah, I will say this about Metu, and I thought it was really. I didn't like it when the Kings played the Nets, and he was just like John with Kevin Durant. I was like, dude, stop, that's silly. But like, he's kind of like mouthing off with Luca because I Luca talks, you know. It's just like it's kind of funny to just see like uh, Metu just kind of talking with him. It's all good fun. I think that's some of the things. Matthew's kind of a, a funny guy. I think he's good locker room presence. I'm sure that contributes to very true. Think him. I think he is a good locker room presence. Yeah, funny. I'll guy. give him that. Yeah, it's it's the only thing I'll give him. He but by our candidates, we'll see. I, I just I don't, know. I don't I don't see the Kings adding anyone. But you got me on that Sarge train, so. I guess, yeah, I guess we'll see. It's easy. It's so easy to just be like, man, wouldn't that be great? Dude, they just got <laughs> Russell Westbrook. I don't know if that would help us, but he's obviously the biggest buyout candidate name out there. I mean, maybe Westbrook off the bench. Nah, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Be interesting. We're talking about preserving the chemistry, Tony. <laughs> Dude. Well, all right. I think that was our last topic of the day. The Kings play the Phoenix Suns tonight. No, we will not see Kevin Durant suit up. Right, I don't think so. Right? No, he's yeah, out. no, he's still he's still out. Okay, so no Durant. We win the game without Durant, right? I mean, you probably play Phoenix again, cut one or two more times. I don't know exactly, but might as well take advantage of the Phoenix Suns without Kevin Durant because you'll probably have to face him later down the line. So another big game. the the uh, The Suns are in fifth place right now, so they're you know they're trying to inch their way up too, and the Kings are on their way at the moment. So. Malik Monk's out. Maybe Davis can have a good game again off the bench uh, in his place and see what our All-Stars can do before the All-Star break in tonight's game. John, what do you have to say to wrap it up and leave Matthew out of it? Just <laughs> All right, I'll try. I'll try. But the Suns came into Sacramento, was it in December, November? Um, mm-hmm. And beat them. Go into Phoenix, return the favor. Take advantage of the fact that Durant's not there. Take advantage of the last game of the All-Star break. Close it out strong. It's important. And to add on to that real quick, that was a game where Darren Fox was just getting shown up by Devin Booker, and he was seemed non-existent in that game. So now Fox, he's at All-Star now, so you got to play like one. I'm not saying he won't, but he does have some redemption after that last Phoenix game as the Kings do trying to go into their court and beat them now too. So let's see what Fox can do. I'm interested. Yeah, I don't think he has a foot bruise right now, so. <laughs> yeah, very true. But thank you all for tuning in, as always. Until next time, have a good one.